0: let's let's talk some comics please please cheer me up man
1: <laughs> and now it's time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast stop it the
0: oh, what's in the
1: box <laughs> to the bins. I got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else. To go. I got nothing else. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitero, and I am here today with Professor Allen. Welcome aboard, Prof. Glad to be back on the show, Paul. Always a pleasure. How, you know, as long as it's as long as the check doesn't bounce, right?
0: that's a that's all i ask is that is that too
1: much quarters don't grow on trees how are you gonna buy comics
0: (laughs) no it is truly truly always a fun time
1: uh the pleasure is is mine so uh i just before we start talking about the actual books that we have and we have books isn't that cool uh (laughs) What, what's been going on? Do I on? look
0: like Bill? Please do not answer that question. Do not <laughs> answer that question.
1: What's been going on in the world of twenty-five cent comic collecting?
0: You know, not too bad. You know, uh, that darn inflation. Uh, I found three for a dollar boxes at a con. Oh my god! Uh, recently, and uh, the uh, a couple of locations of half-price books. Here in central Ohio, uh, which raised their prices to a dollar or over a dollar on their on their comics a few years ago, have had to uh, have had to relent.
1: Do they think you're a billionaire?
0: (laughs) No. Do I look like Uncle Scrooge? Don't answer that one either. (laughs) Um, But they have they have uh, they they, they have thrown out the twenty five cent uh, uh, clearance. Box every now and then. So cheap books are still out there, but not as plentiful as they used to be, Paul. (laughs) Let me tell you that.
1: So, uh, for anybody listening, we're recording this shortly into the new year. I'm not sure exactly when it's going to post, probably sometime in February. Uh, New Year's Eve, I actually went out. There's a a store not too far from me, about half an hour away. Uh, And they. Generally, you know, they're, they're really good on the uh, collectibles. Uh, as far as their back issues go, most of their back issues are fairly recent. Uh, but they, in the last few months, apparently opened up a warehouse location that is open sporadically. And they just, you know, announce, I guess, on Instagram, you know, oh, the warehouse will be open this day, these hours. So it happened that it was open on New Year's Eve. And I said, you know, let me, let me run down there, you know, at noon and and see what they have in this warehouse. And I went and they, they had long box after long box, uh, of books for a dollar each, which, you know, we can, we can joke all we want, you know, when new book, Mm -hmm. when new books go for four and $5, a dollar each is still a pretty good bargain. Uh, the problem was as I, as I sifted through them, they were all, fairly new. You know, most of it was I would say within the last ten years, which is not really what I look for when I'm in the store. And, and people who are looking for that, certainly it's it's a, a treasure trove. Uh but you know, I, I walked away disappointed just because of what I look for. I, I think it's a, a great location, again, for people who want more recent stuff. Uh anyway, I, I went to the main store following that and they had a little box on the floor, you know, a long box, and it was fifty cents comics, and I found about five or six books in there that I, I liked. Uh, actually, I probably found more, more like 10. Uh, and then they had older books and they were, you know, $1, $2, $3 right. uh, in, a, in another long box. So basically it was like two long boxes of books to look through. And I walked away and I posted it on the, uh, on the, uh, what's your, the Facebook page. I posted a picture of what I had picked up. But I probably picked up, I don't know, 20-something books. And I, I walked away very happy. You know, books mm-hmm. books from the '60s and '70s. Uh, nice, you know, right. and and you know, not. You know, there were a couple of world's finest issues that were in you know what Scott Scott calls WTS uh, condition, <laughs> uh, but they were old enough. You know that that I was happy to get those and uh, the, the early issues. You know, some early reprint issues from Marvel Fantasy Masterpieces and and uh, uh, Marvel Collectors Item Classics. I'm not big on buying reprint books, but those where they put like five stories in, in them. And, you know, I, I, I enjoy those. So I picked up a bunch of those. Uh, and, and I look forward to my next chance to dive in and, and get, you know, fill more uh, books from my want list. Uh, you know, there, there's, there, there will always be a want list, but there's thankfully a lot of books that are on my, you know, a lot of the series on my want list. I feel like I'm, I'm cutting down on the number of issues I need. Right to right. to complete those series and and that's that's always a good feeling when you complete a series.
0: And let me just say, I completely understand the stories that you you've told before on on previous episodes of going with your wife to a you know stopping by a store and finding a book that's on your list, but it's just a few bucks too expensive, mm-hmm. and she just does not understand.
1: Is Mrs. Quarterback <laughs> similar?
0: You know, uh, I you know she she indulges me, she indulges me, but uh, but but he, your idea of no, I'm not I'm not going to pay six dollars. This is a four dollar book. Yeah, exactly. Yes, you tell them, all. You tell them. The, the uh, uh, other thing that comes to mind from uh, your story there about you uh, know I, I mentioned these three for a three for a dollar bins I found at uh, GalaxyCon here in Columbus Ohio. Uh, they were on the floor. And, uh, you know, getting down on the floor, going through those boxes, that was not a problem at all.
1: <laughs> it's <laughs> it
0: was the standing up. That was the standing up. That was a little more of a struggle. Yeah,
1: that is that is definitely the problem. And <laughs> See, just, how just as a – uh...
0: uh... How much can I lean on this table without bringing it all down on me <laughs> as I struggle? To my...
1: Just as an asterisk <laughs> to the $4 versus $6 book, it's it's almost inevitable that if you say to yourself, I don't care, I'm going to buy it because I really want it, that the next time you go into a shop, you'll find it for $4.
0: <laughs> Just ain't right. It ain't right. Or, of course, the, uh, the, uh, the, the three books of the four-book miniseries. Yeah. that you find in the dollar bin. And you know the fourth one is going to be $9 for some reason.
1: Well, and that's, and that's when you find the fourth one for $9 and you say, I need it to complete the series. And the next time you go to the <laughs> then... store, it, you find it for $5. Guaranteed. It's... Guaranteed. So, you know. It ain't right, Paul. It, it ain't. ain't right. It ain't. They should just be coming over and handing. You know what? I was going to say, joking around, they should come over and hand me the books. But that's not true. If 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 they just came over and said here's all the books you want I'd be excited but it would eliminate the It's oh, the... like oh
0: man now what am I going to do yeah.
1: I, I mean and that's not give to me, say I
0: mean give me half the books
1: that's not to say give when, when give listeners them have them. sent me books and, or, or even you have sent me books mm-hmm. that they are not appreciated especially when they fill a slot in my collection yes, I, you know it, they're true. they're greatly loved and appreciated but if I was handed all of them cool. you know then right. then what would right. I do <laughs>
0: the 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 great thing about uh about uh my reputation uh twofold one people know I'll read anything, which means they're willing to send me anything uh kind and kind and lovely listeners and 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 online friends and the other thing is people don't expect expensive gifts from me. it's like awesome it's like, oh you know I sent you these comics uh, oh professor i Hope you didn't pay more than a quarter for these. No, don't worry, I did not.
1: When you've sent me books. when you've sent me books in the past, I've always assumed, <laughs> quite frankly, and and again, it's always appreciated. <laughs> don't don't let this sound like I yes. don't appreciate it. But I always assume that either you bought them for a quarter, or someone gave them to you. You read them and you were passing them on because I know you do that.
0: Those are both highly likely possibilities, yes. And i i I've been doing this long enough. It's probably happened, but nobody's pointed it out that I've sent them a book that they had sent me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny.
0: It has happened, I'm sure, just by the randomness, r- random statistics It's had to have happened, but no one has been, uh, 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 everyone has been kind enough to not point it out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Actually, I should look and see if I have any, any uh, flotsam and jetsam to send you. Because <laughs> I probably do.
0: The good thing here, here's the other scam. I mean, uh, here's the other thing is that I mean, listeners were very generous to me over this past uh, holiday season. And so, you know, a box comes in the mail in uh, in December. I, I put a bow on it and I put it under the tree. My wife really can't complain. It, it's a Christmas present, honey. It's a Christmas present. <laughs> you, 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 you can't begrudge Derek Crabb or Joe Crawford from sending me a Christmas present, can you? Can you really?
1: But, you know, maybe, here's just a thought. Maybe you should address that Christmas present to her. And then when she opens it, well, clearly you don't want these comic books, so I'll take them <laughs> off your hands. But that was your gift.
0: Exactly. Well, my uh, my... My friend Kirk Spencer will often throw in, uh, especially around this time of year, a bag of his wife's fudge. Ooh. So that makes that makes whatever else is in the box okay as far as Mrs. Quarterbit is concerned.
1: Hmm.
0: I can have all I, – I, it, it, it can be all comics and sci-fi magazines, but if there's some candy in there that she can have, it's a win-win. So and and it, let that be a lesson as well
1: and this this year there's there's like one level of disappointment to uh to my christmas gifts and, and and you know it's certainly not a a complaint of any sort of what anybody's given me but uh kirk greenfield who's you know a, a, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. been been generous in the past uh yep. reached out to me and said i sent you a gift and i you know thank you kirk uh but i sent it to your old address because i moved oh, two years great. ago and it seems to have been lost somehow. I reached out to the people who bought my old house because I've maintained some level of contact with them right. uh and and they've said, uh yeah, as soon as it gets here i'll I'll let you know uh And you know, I haven't heard anything from them, so I'm thinking it never mm-hmm. arrived there. uh Kirk gave me a tracking number, and I haven't been able to get anywhere with that <laughs> it it's It's disappointing you know that that the man was generous enough to send me something. And whatever it is, it's appreciated, of course. Uh, and so, yeah. and I don't don't have it, so um, you know, <laughs> that's that is a disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we both have books from the nineteen seventies that we brought today, and we have, as we usually do, a theme of sorts going, and that we both picked team up books. Yeah. And I have Brave and the Bold number 133 three from 1977 you have marvel team up number 85 from 1979 and as we usually do i will say to you would you like to go first or second well
0: i got the marvels so i'll go first okay. i'm not sure
1: that that's a rule anymore but there, there are that's... no rules <laughs> i make the rules and my, you know, my first rule is whatever i say is the rule
0: i was gonna say you know paul before you took over the show in your hostile takeover there used to be rules i'm just saying that
1: there used to be now the now the rules are whatever i say the rules are
0: the rule is paul rules okay yeah there you go not just paul's rules but paul rules okay i (laughs) gotcha i gotcha well this is as as we've said this is a a physical copy that i'm reading from a falling apart copy that i spent probably 50 cents for (laughs) that's my i know uh, with inflation that is now my, my my main location for cheap comics is a Store called Pulp Reality that has uh, uh, long boxes for fifty cents as far as the eyes can see. So I would say and I spent
1: forty cents for this issue because that's the cover price. <laughs>
0: that's the cover price, yeah.
1: <laughs> and I I am very confident that I purchased it new off the stands. Well, from my local comic shop. It's probably in
0: better shape than mine. This is uh, but but, you know, that is the way that I get you know reading copies for most of my Bronze Age books. Is they have to be falling apart. But that's usually the way they they fall into my price range, mm. so, and this is to uh, to clean up what our friend Scott would say. I would say this is whipped to hell. I think that's that's how you describe my uh, my whipped copy. Whipped to feces. Uh, <laughs> uh, as you said, this is Marvel Team Up eighty five. Cover dated September nineteen seventy nine. It's Spider Man and the Black Widow and Shang-Chi and Nick Fury uh, and this is actually the culmination of a four-part storyline and the prior issues starred at least you know on on the cover you know starred each one of them individually and this is the uh, this is not just the team up it's the team up team up team up so, so this this one they should be able to charge you like 3 bucks for this you would think wait a minute I mean, these are all movie stars. That's the thing. This is I, I, you know, I'm not sure if you slabbed yours, Paul, but come uh, on, you <laughs> have four four movie stars here. This has got to be a this has got to be a key, right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> mine would be a. I think mine would be rated as a. Uh, do they do negative numbers on the rating? I'm just just asking for a friend. Do they do negatives? It's a bad word. That's so about where mine would be. Uh, actually, as I was, like I said, the, the cover uh, has come off, and actually that middle page has come off. And what was confusing about it is the middle page was actually tucked in later in the issue.
1: Oh man!
0: So I went from whatever I don't know page 13 to 17 to 18, and back to 14. It was a little. I I, I figured that out. I, I figured that out eventually, but I said, "Oh wow, this is very modern storytelling." Uh no, no, it's just a. 40-year-old comic that has been uh, assembled imperfectly. So uh, what we have here is uh, a cover by Al Milgram. It's an action scene of Spidey being tossed through a window of what is the helicarrier. And our three guests, Shang-Chi, Black Widow, and Nick Fury, are all taking on the Silver Samurai and his energy sword. And the text box reads the Spider-Man who fell to Earth. Ooh. And what I like about this cover is that sometimes when you get a group shot like this, you know multiple uh, multiple characters in an issue, sometimes you get each one in their own box that you know we've seen that before. But the fact that all of these characters are in the same scene involved in the same action bit, I like that.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think you know the the composition of the of the cover I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little later about the actual yeah. uh, execution.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the story is uh, actually called The Woman Who Never Was, it was scripted by Chris Claremont with art by Sal Bushema and Steve Lealoha. Thanks to the Marvel Wiki for providing a synopsis that I used as a jumping off point for what is to follow. And I will say that their summary
1: was not very summarized, if you know what I'm saying. I have that page open on my computer and I know exactly what you're saying. I, you know, let's be realistic here. I have the DC Wiki page open for my summary, which is a nice, What's clean your? four paragraphs long. Yours, on the other hand, is one, two, three, four, five, six long paragraphs. Well,
0: we've we've uh, we've edited that down a little bit, <laughs> added some commentary. So we'll see. Yeah, we've edited we'll it down. No, Spider Man teams up with
1: these people. They fight these people, and it's over.
0: The end. <laughs> oh, happy ending. They win. Did I mention that they win? I think I think one of the differences, perhaps, between uh, the. Uh, three pages of summary versus the three paragraphs of summaries that this is chris claremont i don't know if you know about him he likes his words let me i'm just gonna say that at the outset. and i
1: think this is the man fairly, likes his words. i think it's fairly early in chris claremont's career i think i'm trying mm-hmm. to think of how, how deeply like he would you know would he have been into the x-men at this point i'm not really sure Late seventy nine, late, late late in the seventies. I'm I yeah I'm not sure. I'm but not I, sure. I think you know he, he may have still been doing his apprenticeship at this point. I'm that's, not 100 sure. Uh, yeah. And I mean obviously he's a talented writer. So you know why don't you give us mm-hmm. a summary and then we'll discuss it.
0: <laughs> summary in quotations. So we we start with Spider Man plummeting from the helicarrier, his body numb from an attack by Silver Samurai. Now, before that, it had started less than a day before with Spidey coming to the rescue of a young woman, an impulsive decision which may cost his life. Black Widow uses her web line to capture Spidey and understanding physics way better than he ever did. She manages the momentum in such a way as to not snap his neck. The samurai cuts the line but Spidey returns the favor and saves Widow's life. These efforts leave them both exhausted. Inside the helicarrier, Fury and Shang-Chi babble, a horde of shield agents hypnotized by the Viper. She she orders Clay Quartermain to seal the room and flood the ship with knockout gas. Steel walls fall suddenly boxing in Fury and Shang-Chi. And their encounter, their enclosure, fills with gas, which according to Fury, a single drop anywhere on the skin will put a person out for a week. (laughs) Confident in her victory, the Viper turns into President Jimmy Carter's address to Congress on the energy crisis. Her plan, which would later be recapitulated in prose form by Tom Clancy, and then even later the TV show designated survivor is to crash the helicarrier into the Capitol building, killing all the top U.S. officials, leaving a vacuum into which will step her revolutionary brothers and sisters. Now, as an aside, I'm not saying that this could possibly be an improvement over recent U.S. Congresses. It's just that I <laughs> I sort of see your point anyway. But moving on. I wonder if the Congress that President Carter is addressing has a speaker. Anyway,
1: um, not <laughs> – Maybe by the time the airs, we will. We will. We will.
0: Uh, but, of course, the Viper is a villain and a gloating one at that, so she's going to get her comeuppance. And does in the form of Fury and Shang-Chi smashing through the door, having escaped their gas trap through – Secret passageways that only Fury knew about, which were designed for just such a situation, otherwise known as Because Comics. Fury uses his last remaining narco dart on Quartermain. We are barely a quarter way through this comic, friends, and we'll try to speed this up. Did I mention this was written by Chris Claremont? Because, (laughs) look, there are a lot of words here.
1: Uh, Spidey... if, you, if you think of how much you paid per word, you know, <laughs> it's a what was it like a mill? <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is a bargain. So, uh, you know, Spidey and Black Widow smash back into the helicarrier, which I'm sure is not a problem whatsoever, crashing through a window. Anyway, uh, the widow tells Spidey to attack the samurai. She's gonna go after the viper. Spider-Man is afraid that Widow will revert to her Nancy Rushman personality and tells Shang-Chi to follow her. So Shang-Chi, who I refuse to refer to either as Shang or Chi, both of which are used regularly in this issue, he leaps about with, you know, protecting the Widow, keep but. And the Widow's mind does seem to flip back and forth between these two uh, uh, personalities. In their fight, Spidey blinds the samurai with web fluid and dislodges his sword. And after sticking himself to the ceiling, finishes the fracas with a haymaker. And down goes Silver Samurai. With each passing minute, Black Widow recalls more of her past like how she uncovered the Viper's plans, but was captured before she could warn Fury. After fruitless torture and interrogation, she escaped, but the ordeal regressed her mind into an old-timey alias. This, this Nancy Rushman, is the woman that Spidey referred to earlier, who he saved from a mugging sometime within the last few issues. Shang-Chi recognizes her inner conflict as similar to what he has faced since leaving his father's house. Then suddenly, the Viper appears and shoots at the Widow, but Shang-Chi dives in front of her and takes the bullet himself. The Viper wanted to kill the Widow, something she will do soon enough. She presses a switch on a remote control module and powers down the helicarrier's main engines, then tosses the remote over the side, meaning that the engines cannot be restarted and they are stuck watching c-span and can't change the channel the ladies continue their battle outside the carrier as the engines slowly die down the massive skycraft loses altitude fortunately nobody in the story ever loses their attitude yeah see what i did there spider-man is helping Fury, who has been shot, when they notice that the engines have stopped, Fury sees that their only chance is to rewire the main trunk lines, which lie behind a reinforced steel wall. Spidey peels this back, and Fury tells him to follow his lead and to pray. Atop the descending helicarrier, Viper and Black Widow battle by the rotor maintenance Platform, A duel of champions. Viper gloats that its trajectory has been precisely planned so that in a matter of seconds it will utterly destroy the capital. Widow replies that she's seen children starve in the ruins of Stalingrad and men freeze solid overnight, so she knows how precious life is. Although she's physically wiped out and psychologically crippled, Her will to win and her fighting skill prevail. The Widow ducks, and the Viper leaps off the platform, grabbing the edge. You know, in her younger days, the Widow would have simply let her fall. She tries to save Viper, but the rotors start to spin, Spidey and Fury's efforts having paid off, but the force that generates whipped the Viper out of Widow's grasp, and she is hurled into oblivion. The Capitol building shakes as the aircraft halts its its descent just inches above the iconic dome, and the U.S. government is safe, eh, for better or worse. The next morning, Fury and Shang-Chi chat. The master of kung fu, who had been injured, had actually played dead for the last ten pages or so, because he knew that Widow needed a chance to find her true self, so he chose. To not interfere in her battle with the Viper. Spidey and the Widow also have a chat. She tells him that as Nancy Rushman, they might have had something special. But this relationship can't continue. As he swings away, she muses that she chose her road long ago and has never looked back. But as every eagle knows, to fly free, you must fly alone. The end. That's deep. (laughs) it's claremont man it's claremont now i i i did have one one thing i don't know if i've ever noticed this or if this is something slightly different but early on you know they're sort of during the recap they're describing shield and the editor's note List Shield as the Supreme Headquarters International Law Enforcement Division, which sounds right to me. Right. Except that that doesn't spell Shield; it spells S H I L E D. SHILED. Schilded. Shiled. I mean, come on. This has to be a
1: mistake, right? Well, they changed what that acronym was several times. Well, it's I believe. always spelled Shield. It's always spelled Shield, but but what it stands for has always been different.
0: I wonder if they had enforcement and law back it's its Supreme Headquarters International Law Enforcement Division, S-H-I-L-E-D. Just thought I'd pass that along. Uh, I mean, I, I I thought about dashing off a letter to Editor-in-Chief Jim Shooter, but um, yeah,
1: I don't know that, if that would really, with that. <laughs> really work these days. Uh, i I got to say, I, I have a soft spot for Marvel team-up in general. Uh, and and this this little run of the, these four issues has always been, you know, one of the ones that I've, uh, you know, one of the uh, storylines I've enjoyed. Uh, mm-hmm. Looking back on it, you know, I, I, well, first of all, I guess they got, this is where they got Natalie Rushman for uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe as, right. as her non-deplume. Uh, right, de mm-hmm. uh, right but uh you know the the thing the one thing that like always throws me off a little bit is uh silver samurai uh yeah you know he was i if i remember right he was introduced in daredevil he was just kind of a you know a a you know a general villain that you know didn't have you know that he would be like a hired gun or whatever then eventually i think you know at a point when i really wasn't reading uh he became a mutant and there was all sorts of different things about how he was handled uh, then he was in, uh, in in the the Wolverine movie where he was just kind of a robot, uh, right? So you know, I I just kind of liked him when he was in Daredevil better that that introduction of just him being you mm-hmm. know this this yeah not even a, a samurai so much as a Ronin. Uh right right you know uh, and, yeah. and I, I feel like he he's been mishandled often and I don't have a problem with him in this you know in this one he's just kind of the hired muscle again. Uh, right, right. But just you know, over the years, I kind of don't like the way he was handled. Yeah, um,
0: I wonder if I, 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 I imagine that at this point in American pop culture, we had heard of Samurai, and we had not heard of Ronan. Probably. So I sure that that's why they went that direction with with the name. And I guess sort of the, the look as well. But yes, technically, you're uh, you're, you're probably right because <laughs> he's the
1: has no master I'm just showing my Asian expertise impressive <laughs> not impressive. so much uh, <laughs> you know most of what I know is from pop culture but anyway uh,
0: you know that is one heck of a ginsu knife that he is uh, wielding there
1: I'll tell you that I feel like he could be a character you could explore and you could make him very interesting and I don't really know no. what the, you know again I know that they eventually made him a mutant and uh, I don't really know how they elaborated on his his origin and his background and you know in in their efforts to make him a more three-dimensional character and i don't know if they were successful right. or not you know here he is very two-dimensional hired gun you know with the you know big brutish guy with a sword
0: uh right so you know, that is that is certainly my impression of him i you know i i don't know that he's gotten you know over in uh if this were uh if this were DC, if you were a Flash villain, you know Jeff Johns would have given him four issues and a incredibly melodramatic and sad backstory. Mm. But I, but I, but I, I, I don't know if we've uh, if if we've ever gotten that on him here
1: over in in Marvel. Yeah, I'm I'm not so sure about that. You know, again, I don't know how they handled it. It just seemed strange to me when all of a sudden he was a mutant. Uh, right. Yeah, I, th- I I always kind of got the feeling. And again, I haven't read the story, so I, I'm not in a good position to critique right. it. But I always got the impression that, oh, mutants are popular now. Let's make them a mutant. Yeah, that probably is that. Yeah, I um,
0: I I, I certainly lucked out in, in, in picking this one. Uh, you, usually if you're going through the cheap boxes, team up books like this are pretty safe because they're often one off stories. Mm and Marvel team up itself was often a one-off, a one-off story. I think these, these, these continued stories, they did happen, you know, project Pegasus may be most famous, um, you know, but they, you know, they, they did happen, but uh, I just lucked into this one. Um, the fact that it, the fact that it was the conclusion. Right. Right. Of, of, uh, of, of, of the story that, that certainly helps the, the, the one-off pull it out of the box and see what happens. Reading experience. Now, you know, uh, we, we've talked about that before. You know, you and I, you either want the first or the last.
1: <laughs> well, the last is better than the first if if, I think so if the recap yeah. is is done well.
0: Yes, uh, yes. And I, I, I thought it was. I had no, no problem figuring out how we got here.
1: Now, one of the things about this, and, and it seems to be a mistake that comics make all the time, hmm. is the time it takes for someone to fall you know, a great distance, is not very long. Right. Uh, so, you know, Spider-Man is, we, you know, we have a splash page. He's already, I don't know, let's say 25 feet from the helicarrier that he's falling. And Black Widow has ch- time to kick one guy, punch another guy, jump out of the thing, and still get him with her <laughs> with her uh, right. thing. Uh, you know, it, it's, it seems like maybe one of her superpowers is to stop time. you know there there was an early issue one of the very first issues I ever bought of mobile team up I think it was issue number 20 uh, with Spider-Man and the Black Panther Uh, and and the issue before ends with Spider-Man being thrown from some sort of skycraft and they have it that Black Panther sees this he's already in the air in some type of uh, modality has time to change the direction of his craft and lower himself down so that he can grab spider-man and pull him in and it's like that's the one that jumps out to my mind but there's been you know probably a plethora of other examples of yeah. this kind of thing it's like that could never happen <laughs> by the time you change direction he's already a splat on the ground
0: well you know you know uh, please you know uh, blaine can uh confirm this but i want to say falling things fall at 32 feet per second that means that just quick off, off the top of my head it would take a, a couple of minutes to fall a mile now that's a long fall you know you free fall with a parachute or something like that so i i didn't one one part i didn't mind about this was when the i thought somewhere it said the helicopter was a couple miles up so the fact that it took you can imagine five, six minutes maybe. I mean, they, they, they squeezed 30 minutes of time into it. But I was able to give the benefit of the doubt to that aspect of it at least. But, but when she gets uh, but him,
1: yeah. her lines, her widow lines are long enough to extend her from the carrier and get him. Yes. <laughs> How long are they? Are they more than 32 feet? Because that would be yes, two seconds man. would get him 64 right, feet away. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but the,
0: to me, the the, the bigger mistake in, in this type of scene is that, you know, you jump off or you fall off the building first. Then I fall off and somehow I catch you because I'm able to fall faster than you. That's the one that I have a little bit more trouble, and that with.
1: one they try to justify by the person making themselves more streamlined so that there's right. no air right. resistance, you know, holding mm-hmm. them back. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, okay. <laughs> now <laughs> that that relatively minor complaint because it's well, let let me ask you this: it it, it
0: it's in the same broad subject, we're trying to bring reality reality into the comic. How do you feel about including real presidents in your comics? I, We've got we got Jimmy Carter giving a speech, which timestamps this. Yeah, for, that is exactly for my problem. For good and
1: for ill. That's exactly my problem. I don't have a problem with the idea that they put a president in there, the real person. I have a problem with the fact that it's now 40-some-odd years later, and Jimmy Carter is the president. And when you're reading it, it's like, mm, how old is Spider-Man? <laughs> you know, it's i don't yeah, i don't, yeah, I, don't I don't like you know, when they it's... do that i don't like when they show like a, a date of birth or something like that because it does timestamp it exactly as you said and that's always just you know, a, but... a pet peeve of mine yeah i it's
0: it's tricky because their job is to sell new comics right mm-hmm. they are not in the used comic business
1: right uh, marvel and dc they are not so but the is... used comic business helps to Propel the I, new no, comics business. That. I
0: understand that, but it's you know, so to me, there's sort of an element of, you know, this is kind of cool at the time. It really makes it now. It really adds on uh, the level of, uh, you know, uh, this could be happening right now. Yeah, but it certainly does wreak havoc with a sliding timescale sort of scenario. It definitely does. Uh, yeah, that's that that's the problem. It's certainly and and and. In that case it, it it you are hampering yourself in the future as a you know as a as, as a publisher if you really want to hold to some level of strict or even not so strict continuity. It certainly does mess that stuff up.
1: Yeah, I, I agree totally. And you know I I do think that there is an element where the comic companies should embrace the back issue market, not because they're making money off of it, but because it's just adding to the popularity of their industry, uh, which which is going to, you know, propel the sales of newer books. Uh, And I think, you know, they used to do that. I don't think they really do anymore, but I think they used to do it because they used to say, you know, uh, for more information, look to issue (laughs) so-and-so. Right. And as a young comic collector, that was always like, oh, well, I need that issue now. Uh you know, and, and it it would make me want to, you know, complete this these storylines. You know, I think to some extent it's a desire to get it's to get themselves away from the continuity because it's just so convoluted now that you have so so many issues yeah. of these yeah. stories. But I, I, I also think there's an element of laziness to it. Mm, and, yeah. and and the laziness aspect bothers me much more. Yeah.
0: You know, I, I I I have a little bit less problem with Marvel introducing these aspects of of real life because they have real cities, so there's a some level of consistency with them. It's it actually stands out more in DC when you have a real politician in a fake city. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's but you know, but you're but you're talking about I, I, actually I sort of take it back because with with reprints with the uh, unlimited apps with um, you know in 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 that sense marvel and dc are still selling you no know, yeah old that's comics, true good point. you know which in in a way that they had not before so if this gets reprinted or collected or is part of the pitch for the unlimited app don't to some extent they are currently yeah, well, the
1: trade making
0: money off these, you know, so, so that, that that actually
1: does add a little bit different spin to it, I think. And they could easily say, you know, as reprinted in, you know, uh, the following collections or whatever. And, right. and then they could right. even, you know, they do letters pages. They could add, you know, a little thing at the bottom, you know, where you put asterisks and you have a little appendix mm-hmm. where, mm-hmm. you know, you put, uh, you know, That'd be great. Well, you know, where where these things can be found in reprints or, you know, the original printing and, you know, whatever. To me, it seems to me to to, to feed upon itself where it's going to help them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what do I know? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. What do you know? I know so little. (laughs) So uh, I really do like, well, I'm going to start on the cover. Actually, I was going to talk about the artwork interior. I, as I said, I like the composition of this cover uh i think it, it you know it tells the story it, it gives you something that's occurring within the issue uh it almost shows you that black widow is going to be the one going after him uh you know it, it right. it's, i think it's yeah. laid out yeah. well uh you know al, al milgram's actual execution of faces and such uh it, i'm not a huge fan of it uh you know it's okay i think it's i think mm-hmm. he's very workmanlike. Uh, but it doesn't really, you know, it, it, it's, it never feels as dynamic as it should to me. Uh, I do, I I like that he managed to put his, uh, initials on the ground. (laughs) And I think that's kind of cool, you know, cool way to sign it. It's, it it blends into the picture really well. Uh, Mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I have mixed feelings on it. I think overall, like I said, I I think the composition wins out. Uh, Mm -hmm. the interior art I think is really sharp. Uh, this is this is yeah. you know Sal Buscema really doing a good job and I've often said Sal Buscema's work you know I I love his storytelling I love his pacing I love his his just the angles he chooses and everything but for whatever reason his work is largely dependent on what anchor he's teamed with mm, uh, okay. when when he gets an inferior anchor, it brings the level of his art down uh, but when he's working with somebody who does a you know a a, a real solid job with it. I think it, it, it shows you what a talented artist he was. Uh, and here, right. I, I really like what Steve Lea Lealoha uh, did with this. Uh, you know, it's... it's. I think my favorite Sal Buscema art is when Klaus uh, Janssen inked him, which yeah. is surprising because mm-hmm. there's a lot of Klaus Jansen stuff that I don't like. <laughs> uh, right. But I really liked him on Sal Buscema's art. And I think this has a great similarity to that. Uh and, and I also think it, it benefits, I think the coloring is, is solid on it. So I think all around, and I have no familiarity with Ben Sean, who is the colorist no, on it. No. But I think it, it's, you know, it, it's a good job. Some points where it's muted and it, it's done so well. Some points where it's, you know, brighter and and that's done well as well. Uh, I really like the interior art. And I think the story is just kind of fun. You know, that's, which is what yeah, I always I seek from Marvel team up. Right,
0: right. Yeah, yeah, for me in in, in terms of a grades, you know, I'm sort of on your on your track to me the the cover. I I think you said workmanlike for Al Mogrum to me I, you know, solid journeyman professional. I, mean, I think that's the same thing. Yeah. You know, he's he's not flashy, but more often than not he gets the job done. And agreed. I I like the layout, I like the action scene with everybody in it. You know, that's a B. Uh, to me okay yeah i didn't Um, give
1: actual numbers or grades so i'm going to just mm -hmm, chime in after yours on each one and i agree that's exactly what i would have given it a b
0: yeah um the art the inside art it's a high b maybe not a b plus but a high b it is busy but it's like that's not the artist's fault to me that's a claremont thing right having to squeeze in all the words all the characters all the actions all the plots in this final issue of a story
1: I'm going to I'm going to go that... up to an A minus on the artwork. I think, and you know what I'm yeah. going to just say an A honestly. I really like this art. Yeah. I'm going to say it's an A. Yeah. Yeah. Because like
0: I said man they they certainly figured out those those uh, uh no working within those parameters. Uh to me it's good, not great. Um but again, to me most art in comics falls into the category of good, not great. You know. Um uh, the story here to me, we're looking B plus, maybe A minus. It was a part four of a four, but I didn't, I was never lost. Uh, I didn't feel like I was missing anything for not having read the prior issues. And the couple pages of recap were sort of delivered within an action sequence. So it didn't feel just like a narrative dump. Uh, so it quickly brought me up to speed. Um action-packed story. It's a cool setting, right? You're inside the helicarrier and you're outside the helicarrier. That's cool. Um, Wrapped up the plot, wrapped up the character bits well, and it did what a team-up issue has to do, which is not damage the toys, right? You have to tell an exciting story, but these are books where you can't have any change. I mean, you can push a character forward a little bit and that's about all you can do. Again, sort of a parameter, but I thought it was very good. It It was meaty. You know, we it it took some time to read, and I appreciated that. So overall, that's a high B, maybe a B plus, good solid Bronze Age era comic that handles a lot of characters, most of them pretty well. Okay, not so much Shang Chi for the last half, but um, satisfying conclusion. Good comic, and borderline a very good comic.
1: Yeah, and I would say overall, I would give this a B plus because it is borderline mm-hmm, yep. a very good comic. Uh, oh, and just mentioning on the artwork, the uh, on the second to last page, the shot with the helicarrier coming down and coming oh, to yeah. a stop above the uh, Capitol, that that looks awesome. I think that's that's terrific. I like terrific. The thing,
0: on 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 that page, the sound effect is so I I'm interpreting it as so loud, it's a vroom. That it goes across the width of the panel, and then it actually goes down. It takes a right turn. Yeah, I'm, I'm picturing right it is so
1: loud that your ears are.
0: That's hurting. what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying to me that is that is a, a way of without just the size of the individual letters, that 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 is a way of, of communicating just how loud this is. This vroom, that it, it 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 takes more than the than the width of the page to. Uh, 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 to present it yeah i agree again it's one of those cool things that comics can do
1: overall you know very solid read and uh just as an aside i I remembered while you were going over it that uh when we were discussing back and forth what we were going to do today you sent me a screenshot of this so i agree with you that it is wts
0: (laughs) but do you think it was worth the 50 cents i paid for it absolutely
1: absolutely is, is You know, I, I mean, I know that's that's a, a, a tall order as far as how much you're paying, but, you know, <laughs> I, I would say well worth it. Yes, yes. So I brought, once again, Brave and the Bold, number 133, which was from April of 1977. Uh, I paid 30 cents for this one because I also bought it brand new. Um, the cover is by Jim Aparo and Tatiana Wood. And I'm not wasn't really familiar with Tatiana Wood, so I felt the need to kind of look her up. And she was a German immigrant who came to the states in the late '40s, I believe. Uh, and then she was married to Wally Wood. Uh, oh, okay. And I started to look a little bit at her her work, you know, what what work was attributed to her. And it looks like she was pretty much a colorist, not a, not an inker. So it's it's credited to Apparel right, yeah. and and her. But I guess she did the coloring, and when I look at it, the coloring does look to be a little, you know, more uh, dynamic than you'd seen a lot, because mm-hmm. you get some explosions mm-hmm. here, and the color is actually, you know, changing and as it goes through. So uh, I looked at some other cover work that they had on the website for her, and it looks to me like she was a more than competent colorist. Uh, yeah. The cover shows Batman running towards the uh, reader with explosions going on, uh, and Deadman in the background, and there's a some sort of a plane uh, shooting down at him. Uh, so it's, you know, it's pretty dynamic, a lot of uh, action in it and, you know, really, you know pretty solid cover. The story is written by Bob Haney. So you know, you're going to get something that's going to be a little strange. It's, oh boy, it's penciled by Jim Aparo. It's inked by Jim Aparo and it's lettered by Jim Aparo. No colorist is credited uh, hmm. And I'm guessing that that or no colors is discredited on the website. It just says actually on the, the book either. It says story Jim, Bob Haney, art Jim Aparo. I'm guessing that uh, Aparo did his own coloring as well. Uh, hmm. So we'll, we'll we'll discuss that as as we <laughs> as we go further. Uh, the story as as per the DC Wiki is in 1933, Prohibition era, Gotham City had trouble stopping booze smuggler Turk Bannon and his boat the Jolly Marie. His partner, Achille Lazio, or Lazlo, excuse me, uh, has been taken under Bannon's wing. However, after their most successful rum running, Lazlo kills Bannon in an effort to take over his rackets. Flash forward to the 1970s, Commissioner Gordon has Batman out searching the waters of Gotham City in order to crush the drug combines that are using Dead Man's Reef to smuggle drugs into the, city af- into the city. After a drug bust, Batman decides it's time to take in its dealer, Achille Laszlo, even though Batman drove him into exile years prior. Tracking Achille Laszlo's location, Batman calls on in an old friend, Deadman, to help him out in the case. Having Deadman possess various members and associates to either act as though they are possessed by Turk Banyan, or outright accuse Laszlo of killing Banyan and claiming to be there. Aboard the San Marino, a derelict ship that is used for drug dealings, Laszlo is called to task over these accusations over Turk's murder. Deadman possesses one of the bodies of Laszlo's associates, who. Laszlo's who and he makes an admission yeah, good writing. Uh, that Laszlo killed Banyan. When the mobsters try to eliminate Laszlo, he escapes in the Jolly Marie. As Batman rounds up the drug dealers, Laszlo gets shipwrecked and dies out at sea. Later, Batman thanks the dead man for his assistance. Well, I'm glad we got the thank you in there. I'm
0: very I'm so I'm so pleased that they got the Batman being polite
1: in the summary. That's good. Yes. It's very exciting. (laughs) Um, This, you know, we we talked about the convoluted nature of the prior book a little bit that, you know, there's so much going on. This one, you know, this is all in one. (laughs) This is your your one one spot book. Absolutely. Uh, But, you know, like where did Haney come up with this? Uh, it's just like, oh, you know, we're going to start in ni- the 1930s during prohibition and then we're going to work our way in. And and then Batman calls in dead man by putting an article or, or an ad in the, in the newspaper that he's just going to trust the dead man's going to see, uh, which he only just happens to see by chance. And then he, he manipulates things with Deadman man to the point where people are getting killed because of it. <laughs> yeah. But, Bad guys. Yes, all bad guys. <laughs> um, just uh, some weird stuff going on. Uh, and again, you know, Bob Haney, I mean, see, my, my experience with Bob Haney is weird stuff, but usually much more lighthearted than this. This this right. is some heavy stuff that's going on in this, this yeah. issue. Uh, yeah.
0: No, for, uh, uh, first of all, I, the reference or the idea of, of uh, using the classified ads as a communication technique that does go all the way back to the other world's greatest detective. That was a Sherlock Holmes uh, method of, of communicating to to place classified ads in all the, the London papers as a way of, as a means of communicating. So I think that was a, that was a reference. Um, I can think of one possible jumping off point for this story, at least at, at one, one, uh, one element is uh, not mentioned in the uh, in in the in the uh, very summarized summary. I'm not judging. I'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> was that the reason this ship could be used was because it was in international waters. It was it was outside the three mile
1: limit. Yeah, and that, I don't know that that I don't know international water rules. But that that seems a little bit you know. So we're gonna just leave it there forever. I think that means anybody could take it away.
0: Yeah, I mean I'm, but I'm guessing, sort of in the same way. If you remember, there were a lot of uh, 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 books from this era that sort of took on diplomatic immunity.
1: Diplomatic immunity. Oh yeah. Okay. I've got I've
0: I've 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 got the idea that Haney heard something about a three mile offshore, you know, rule something like that. That that was off limits. So I said, okay, I'm gonna write a story using that as the hook. Now again, how you get dead man, how you get all this other stuff. But I'm guessing that was the that was the hook. Kind of in the same way again, you know, diplomatic immunity is, 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 is the one that jumps out at me. Like, you know, it's in the news and then it shows up in ten T V shows and comic books in the next in in in, in, in in the next year, or so sort of ripped from the headlines situation.
1: Yeah, it's probably a very, but, very similar uh, connection to storytelling that mm-hmm. we get. Uh, so I I I, and, I, I agree and, with your analysis there.
0: And and then there's a great scene at at the end. One of the ways that Batman solves it is again over the you know eighty or fifty or seventy years that this that this uh uh, uh, or, uh huh, huh, however long the ship has been tied up there. Batman decides you know what we could do we could go under the water we could untie this we could loosen this and then the boat drifts into the Gotham City PD three mile limits nobody else thought of that and over that, all those years that's that exactly that's how they're arrested it's like okay I mean I've heard of Super Batman before but this one takes the cake in terms of figuring out a genius maneuver that no one had ever no one had ever thought of this <laughs> That's the most unbelievable part, that no one had thought of that, uh,
1: like uh, like you were saying. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, it, again, you know what, they, they, they didn't call him Zany Haiti for no reason. Exactly, exactly. But you're right, this is heavy.
0: And I, mean, I think it's just in in general, I, I always thought Dead Man was a cool character. It's a cool power. It is kind of weird, though. And, you know, here in this modern world, we have to admit, there's some problem with consent, right? Him jumping in and out of people's bodies and and taking them over. Yeah, so, just, just, it just seem, it seems weirder here in 2023, I'm just saying. Not only does it so seem like weird, it, but he's just is,
1: taking all sorts of liberties on it.
0: Absolutely. it is. But it is it is really a cool power. It really is a cool power.
1: It, it's funny, you know, I I've mentioned in the past, for a lot of characters, I have the artist who I most commonly associate with that character because I've seen so much of it. And then there's the artist who I think is the best one who ever drew them. Mm, And in this instance, the artist who I most associate with Batman is Jim Aparo who drew this because when I was collecting actively, you know, Jim Aparo was drawing Batman and detective comics and brave and the bold. Uh, But the artist who I think is the best Batman artist was Neil Adams. And Mm -hmm. Neil Adams also is the best ever Deadman artist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's I I, and I've he's Deadman is yet another character. And and this seems to come up a lot with me lately, who I'm a fan of the character. I'm a fan of the stories that I've read, but I haven't read everything. You know, like I don't have like a deep, deep dive familiarity with him. I, I know, you know, the basic story and I, enough to sit down and read some stuff, but not enough to say, you know, oh, I'm a huge fan.
0: Right. And and to me, uh, Dead Man's a character that when you got him away from the origin you know the origin is, uh, you know, um, of course, it's D.C., so it's a circus related crime and, um, you know, the the acrobat, and the first batch of stories was him trying to, you know, tr- tracking down his killer,
1: The one-armed man, and
0: yeah, exactly, exactly. But I, I kind of like him just in this sort of setting. He's a guy with a power, and you know, evidently, uh, 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 he's on Batman's speed dial, or uh, or he, uh, Batman knows what uh, what newspapers he's going to read,
1: uh, which is yes, <laughs> which he's going to read shot. over yes. someone else's shoulder. okay he just happens to be hanging out on the subway floating in the air reading somebody's newspaper
0: yeah you know when he said out loud paul it does seem a little silly (laughs) just a touch
1: (laughs) but but that's you know this this is not i mean this is a bronze age book but this is one of those ones that just smacks of silver age to me you know when we talk about how Mm -hmm. dc didn't didn't progress to the bronze age as quickly right. as marvel did right. uh right. and the this type of story is one that that i always say i can enjoy these stories I, I get a kick out of them but as i've gotten older i have to take them in small doses if i read too many stories like this in a row then i say why oh, why I am i reading that. these things yeah i get that i get that
0: And he, talking about uh apara i really like the way that he draws the bad guys too they're in, They 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 all look different. They all have their own their own look to them. I Means it's, it's definitely some nineteen seventies mustaches going on. I
1: think I think Aparo uh, had so. a real skill for like a, a a film noir look. Yes. In In, yeah, in his in his art. That's a good way to put it. Uh. And and I you know I I definitely enjoy. It. He's he's got, in in his own way, you'd never mistake his art for Salviussema's, but he's got a very similar mm. take in that. You know his his way of drawing hair and his way of drawing faces right. is very recognizable like I said you'd never confuse them for each other but they right. they are to me they are at a very similar level of creativity uh, they they both I think are very good storytellers they both pace the book well with you know good action scenes uh, you know they choreograph the fights well uh, and and a lot of times I but I do think Aparo's work is slightly less dependent on the inker. I think as he got older, the inker became more right, important. Right. But I think his his style was very, very uh, similar no matter who inked him early on. mm mm-hmm. Interesting. So you know the story. The story is is you know to to use the term we've used so many times, batshit crazy. But <laughs> but it's it, but it's a fun read for one you know for one issue yeah. you know for one, a one and done. It's it's kind of cool to read. Uh, so I, I enjoy it. I I, I thought the artwork. Uh, I don't know that the artwork in this book is as good as the artwork in the previous book that we did, but it's solid.
0: Yeah. You know, there's any 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 time you have a Bob Haney, you're going to have some Haneyisms. There's only one that really jumped out at me as being insane. But there are a couple other weird bits Um, uh, early on. uh, They're firing at Batman. Of course, it's 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 comics. They're they're going to miss him but these automatic weapons, but it's described as the masked manhunter plummets down too fast. So he is faster than the speeding bullets.
1: Ooh. He is too fast to be shot. What? That's good for him. <laughs>
0: you, you know, six, you know, six, I, six, I, six,
1: I, six, I read that too. Uh, and I immediately in my mind took that to mean he's falling or he's plummeting too fast for them to get a good aim on him. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
0: Then you got another weird one coming up next is that Batman finds like a scrap of paper that has a, it's not a map. It just has some arrows drawn on it. And he knows
1: exactly where to place it at a weird angle.
0: (laughs) If you, if you happen to place it over a map of Gotham city, a very specific map, it exactly fits. Maps are not always the same size. They're not always the same scale. And then, of course, Dead Man inhabits a portrait, and he gives some kind of excuse. There is a nod to how weird this is, but come on, Haney, you've gone too far now.
1: (laughs) That's absolutely correct.
0: But sometimes
1: yeah, I mean, just, just looking at that particular line, it's uh, after he does it, he says it worked. First time I ever inhabited a portrait, but it gave me just enough astral energy to croak out the clincher to these superstitious mobsters. Huh? <laughs> 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 as long as it's a picture of a person, I, I guess fair, it gives you playing... enough.
0: I mean, I, I like the, the I like the, the notion that he's nodding too. Cowardly and superstitious.
1: So I, I, I mean, If know, I had Dead Man's the... Power, I could like inhabit the comic book. <laughs> you know, it, it's well, it's that one. enough one's that one's a bridge too far. And frankly, it was so stupid that I read past it and didn't even think about it because exactly. it was just like I, I, I think if I had given it I, enough I, thought, I would have, <laughs> I would have, self destructed like a computer that Captain Kirk is talking to.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And um, man, this must have been years ago now, but you and I covered a Twilight Zone issue once that had a haunted boat mm-hmm. sort of theme to it. I thought, okay, see, it's a throwback. It's a throwback. There you go.
1: I think that book that... may have been more recent than this one. That's well, actually, <laughs> if, and I don't think the story was. I think it was an older story that was reprinted more recent ah, than this. Reprint, but that's, yeah. that's, that's yeah. a vague memory. I that's right. So... Uh, I, I think the artwork in this book cover and interior is really solid. Yes. I think it's a B book as far as that goes. I think the cover is actually kind of a B plus, uh, mm-hmm. but the interior art is a B, you know, just like I said, very solid Jim Crow work, kind of what I expect from him on, on a regular basis. Uh, until, you know, later in his career when he's got a little older, the artwork got a little bit sloppier and that's when I said he was a little bit more dependent on the inker. But at this point he was still, you know, at, at at his full powers. Uh, the story Mm -hmm. is again, it's kind of just crazy and it's all over the map and it's doing things that are a little bit out of character for the, for Batman, uh, you know, causing people to get killed intentionally. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to say. But it's still kind of fun, so I'm going to say a B minus on the story, and and overall I'll give the book a solid B. See, I was able
0: to, um, I was able to like the story more. It's kind of like you have to know what you're getting into with a Bob Haney story, so I was able to I was able to get my mind in that vibe. So to me the story is more like a B plus, and to me it's like a B plus. Issue, it's a fun one-off story, and sometimes that's all you need, you know. So, sort of knowing the the, the Haney vibe, knowing that this is on what Earth, Bob, you know, I can generally let his uh, the portrait was close. That was that was almost <laughs> the bridge too far. I'll admit it. I'll admit it. But I just chuckled and said, "Well, I kind of knew what I was getting into here." So to me, it's a B plus, uh, a, a a a a minus almost. It was a f- weird weirdly fun story. Oh, fair enough. And sometimes that's all you do. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I mean, we're, and we're not much off of each other on it. Uh, so. and, I, and, and I'm here talking to my friend Paul, so of course I'm in a good mood. Yeah, same here. That helps. Same okay? here.
1: You know, all I have to do is talk to you to know how well off I am. <laughs> 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 so th- thanks for making the time to talk to me professor i uh, i yeah, always appreciate it and i always enjoy it so uh before we call it a day why don't you uh, tell everybody who probably already know where they could find you where they could find you
0: well i will do that i will also before that i will give a shout out to a podcast that is not mine uh to my twitter friend billy d who has done about a dozen episodes of a show that looks at these issues. Did he
1: play Lando Calrissian?
0: <laughs> Almost. You know, if if you've ever seen Billy, you could understand the confusion. Uh, no. Uh, but he does a show called The Brave and the Bob, covering the Bob Haney issue. So I've read, you know, eight, for the last few months, to, you know, following along with him. So I was certainly – I knew how to put myself – in the in the Bob Haney uh, frame of mind, so uh, so that is that is a uh, uh, Billy D's Did Billy Joel sing a song if, like
1: that? If nothing else, <laughs> the Bob Haney frame of
0: mind.
1: Exactly. So,
0: uh, but most of our work can be found at the relatively geeky podcast network, the home of the Quarter Bin Podcast, or as I, li- I like to call it now, the Thirty-One to Thirty-Seven Cent an issue podcast. Thank you. Inflation, uh, doom speak and the comics reading journal. It's a relatively geeky podcast. And thank you, Paul, as always for being more or less usually often a gracious and kind
1: host. I gotta do something about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for coming on. And like I said, I always appreciate, uh, and uh thank you everybody for listening we'll talk to you soon thank you so much for listening to our show and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness you can contact back to the bins to leave feedback comments questions suggestions and criticisms via email at bins at two true com, or by joining the back to the bins group on facebook Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Monzo Corps of Milan, Italy, all rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.